Did you know that the original Final Fantasy creator, Hironobu Sakaguchi, made a spiritual successor to that legendary series called Fantasian for Apple Arcade, and every level in the game is a handmade, physical miniature model. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing, and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au forward slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today at sifter.com.au forward slash arcade for a one month free trial of Apple Arcade and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. This offer is for new subscribers only $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. This episode of Pixel Sift is brought to you by Audible. You can get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash Pixel Sift. There's over 180,000 titles you can choose from, so you should hopefully be able to find something that you like, and you can play that on your iPhone, your Android, your Kindle, or your MP3 player. Hello, and thank you for joining us for episode 61 of Pixel Sift. My name is Gianni, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Mitch and Scott, as I am every week. Hey. Hello, hello. Joining us over the internet, though, we have Jack Knoble, who is the director and programmer of the multiplayer stealth ninja slasher, Kieru. Jack, thanks for joining us. No worries. Thanks for having me. Mitch, we've got a few other topics to talk about today. What else are we checking out? Yeah, we'll be taking a look at the importance of player networking features such as Xbox Live and the PlayStation Network, how they contributed to the success of a console generation. And continuing on generations, the last console. Have we seen the end of console generations as we know it? It's the future, it's the past, it's everything in between, but let's dive right in. You're listening to Pixel Sift. Or you might be watching Pixel Sift on Twitch. Pixel Sift. So Microsoft set the standard for the robust networking systems way back in 2002 with the launch of Xbox Live, and much of the Xbox retail success can be attributed to the live system. But Sony's PSN making leaps and bounds in this current generation with more streamlined with a more streamlined version. The importance of a good player networking system has been made ever clearer. (laughs) Do you know why we're talking about this one this week, Mitch? Are we talking about Nintendo Switch again? We're going to be talking a little bit about this little (laughs) console called Nintendo Switch because I think one of the interesting (laughs) things about this, uh, we're talking about the importance of networking and something that uh, Nintendo has now come out and answered and said that there is going to be an online paid multiplayer service available, um, something they haven't done previously. uh, And as part of that service, you... You know, they've made a few choices in terms of the, the way that the system works that have left people kind of scratching their heads, including, uh, for example, tying all the multiplayer matchmaking and voice chat to an app that doesn't run on the Nintendo Switch hardware itself, uh, actually runs directly on your smartphone. So, you know, this is something that people have kind of said, well, what's the value of paying for a service from Nintendo when there are systems out there that let me talk to my friends for free on the internet? Um, and, you know, where is this sort of, you know, going, going to be gained from? It does. It, it, I wonder if Nintendo is actually considering the cost of the phone as well as buying the Joy-Cons and buying the console and all the accessories that it's going to have to need to play these games. I wonder if they're including oh, Absolutely. That. 
And they're also assuming that uh, the user base has smartphones, yeah. which may not be the case. Well, that's it. I think uh, apart from uh, uh, closer to that than what you said, Mitch, is they probably wouldn't expecting people to pay on top of that. They're just probably assuming that everyone already has smartphones, which is right. a fair assumption, I guess, but it is a little presumptuous. Yeah. Well, think about time. this. You know, the Nintendo products have always been a popular item to be given as a gift to, to kids. You know, they have a large section of the games that are sort of targeted towards that audience. Yes, there are more kids these days than ever before that have got smartphones, but it doesn't mean every kid has got a smartphone. Yeah, that's a And it means point. they can't play with their friends. Um, and they also would have to use other systems because, you know, Nintendo has been very strong about curating and controlling the way that people interact online. I, We've had the, the friend code for a year where you physically had to give ugh. someone a number instead of being able to add anyone on the internet. But I think that's a big part of that. It's because obviously a core part of their audience well, is kids and they want to protect those kids from, from N- people Nintendo's online. always placed very high pride in their own hardware and like things like uh, the DS and like have their own cartridge system and everything like that. I just, it was... Interesting for me to see Nintendo entrusting a big part of their new system or the new features to something that they don't control. Because essentially, they don't control what phone you're going to have. So it seems like Nintendo used to really care about what you use to play the games, but now not so much anymore. Well, I think they're doing this probably a little bit too early. I think if they'd done this maybe four to five years' time, where maybe the tech had improved with mobile phones or at least the best, uh, the bench line mark for them. I think would have done a really good job, but I just don't see it being, as you guys mentioned earlier, being, I guess, a viable option for most of their user base. Oh, not sorry, most, but you look at this, you talk about earlier, the uh, younger kids, is it now setting a precedence that the kids need a phone to do anything on the console or? Yeah. And as well as that, like being a weird step away from what is kind of the general idea of the other consoles, they seem to be stepping away from that on every aspect of this online service. Um, you know, and with their so that the free games you get every every month, it's really really up in the air whether you're going to be able to actually keep those. Um, they still haven't said how much it will actually cost either. Um, you can assume it's going to be the same sort of thing, like the sixty dollars of the Xbox and, and PlayStation. Do you think they know how much it will cost? At this yeah, stage? that's a really good uh, point. <laughs> Do you think, oh, you know, Nintendo kind of just throws things uh, out there and they, you know, play by their own rules in a lot of ways. And I think, you know, for, for a lot of uh, markets, say, for example, you know, the Japanese market is a very different market to the Western market. And one of the criticisms that's been leveled at Nintendo is that, you know, they haven't quite understood how online multiplayer and, and online social networking through PlayStation Network and, and Xbox Live kind of works in this sort of situation. But, you know, if you look at the marketing of the actual Switch, there are lots of situations where they actually want people to be physically in the same area as other people. You know, they're talking about, you know, stopping your basketball game and, and playing a few <laughs> rounds of NBA 2K, whatever, um, or, you know, playing some Mario Kart or on a rooftop with your pals. You know, I don't know that maybe, you know, the, the network's features are there Mostly to kind of, I don't know. Oh, you're don't right. Know. They've, they've never they've never provided a good platform for competitive play, especially. Yeah. Which is funny because they kind of advertise this whole esports thing with the Switch, but like you know, Splatoon. Say you know, it was very popular. Absolutely, it was massive in the community, but it never took off in the competitive sphere for like mm. a bunch of reasons. It, you know, the it, lack of private lobbies and the you know, Nintendo's continuing hard stance on YouTube and streaming issues, like. They've got a lot of things to address if they really want to take this kind of network seriously and if they want it to thrive like Xbox and play it, the PSN do as well. I think, yes. It also seems like they haven't really looked at their competition at all. Mm. Like they it just like the it, it almost seems arrogant Classic in a way. Nintendo. 
to... Well, I know, think they have looked at it. I think they've looked at it and gone, how different can we be? <laughs> yeah. Like, that, that, yeah, like I said, it's classic Nintendo. I think they take pride in doing things their own way. And sometimes that works out for the better and sometimes it doesn't. It's really interesting. I think if we think back one, I know we're going to be talking about generations a little bit later in the show, um, but if you think back one generation, one of the sort of key selling points of uh, Xbox 360 was that the Xbox Live platform was really good mm-hmm. um, and that once all your friends were locked into that one particular online platform, it was very difficult if you were a PlayStation player and all your mates played on Xbox. Absolutely. So, you know, having that really strong bind is a, a really big selling factor um, to kind of locking people in. Um, and we've sort of seen a switch around of this in this current generation where the PlayStation 4 has kind of, you know, followed some of the lessons that were learnt from Xbox Live and boosted up their yeah, online multiplayer. I mean, I remember a time it is on PlayStation, significantly better now. On PlayStation Three, you couldn't join a group chat and chat to a bunch of people unless you're in a specific game. You couldn't yeah. cross be- chat between different games. It was, however, the- free though. It was yeah. free. Yeah, but I think that just the, the service of the or just the operating system and everything that came with the PS4 was a huge upgrade for the PlayStation yep. as well as the PlayStation Network. They made everything so much more user friendly, and they got rid of a lot of the mistakes they made with the PS3 and the, and and the network at that time. Sorry, go, Jack. Um, that's what I definitely think Nintendo's doing wrong as well is uh, PlayStation learned from their mistakes to try and make everyone's life easier. Yeah. Well, I think Nintendo, they're not really thinking this through. People are inherently lazy. I think uh, personally, if I'm going to want to jump on a game, I don't want to have to get my phone set up and then the console and yeah. then call someone and all the technical difficulties that normally come with setting up any call. It seems just like an extra unnecessary step that's going to have issues. Agreed. Well, look, uh, you know, we can only see. We're all kind of speculating at this point as to what it's actually going to happen and still... Prove us wrong, Nintendo. You know, they've got uh, <laughs> um, um, over a month to, to sort this all out and I think the online service isn't coming in until later in the year anyway. Oh. No, but so, it'll, be, it'll be a free trial at the start and it won't be, it'll be charged in um, autumn and 2017. I assume that's American autumn as well. So, You know, I wonder if we'll see something like... They called it fall. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wonder if we'll see something like you know Pokemon Go, which has you know had such a huge push at the beginning, as everyone was super excited about it, but kind of fundamentally missed what was fun about the Pokemon games and didn't sort of include that in their gameplay. So you know maybe mm. we'll we'll see some changes as these things go along. But let's jump into our next topic. Visit us on pixelsift.com.au. We're still joined by Jack from Pinefire Studios. He makes a sort of a stealth multiplayer ninja game. Talk, you're probably thinking a lot about multiplayer, I imagine, Jack, uh, every moment of the day. Uh, and the game is called Kieru. Jack, can you tell me a little bit about how your game kind of came, came about? Um, well, basically, we started out at AIE. That's how we all met. Um, the Academy of Interactive Entertainment. So that's sort of studying game design, programming, all that sort of jazz. Uh, and basically, we had there was two different ideas. The original idea was uh, the artist on our team, Isaac. He came up with the idea of a love story between two uh, people. It's still black and white. And I thought of a multiplayer game because as a programmer, I, I, I wanted the challenge, basically. Um, so we sort of negotiated on the idea and sort of reflected on what, what it could be and came up with this new idea. Um, heavily inspired by Samurai Jack, if you guys have seen that episode. <laughs> I've seen the episode of Samurai Jack with the uh, uh, Samurai Jack fighting a, a black ninja. It was basically, we saw that scene and went, okay, we can do something with this. Well, look, you know, love and war are two of the most important things uh, in human culture. 
so obviously, I guess it makes a, a good step to go from from that onwards to to you know making a game like this. Definitely. Good story. Yeah, <laughs> little little aside there. Um, so. I guess when you're designing a game, one of the most important things they talk about is having sort of definable outlines and sort of being able to differentiate different types of characters from backgrounds and stuff. Well, with this game, you've kind of basically taken that and made it as impossible to see, except for in certain circumstances. How do people kind of approach the game when you're sort of teaching them to to play it in situations like, you know, taking it to, to packs? Well, it's really interesting to see because you see the players initially they jump on and they're just confused. They have no idea what's going on. And this is a really weird feeling for us because obviously we've been playing, uh, building this game now for a year and a half, two years. So we understand completely what's going on. So when they first jump in, you see them really confused. But you give it a round or two and then they just know. They just know what to do. And it's, a, it's really great to see because they'll start off not hiding at all and they just want to kill, kill, kill. But they realize that just by running out of the shadows and being or the light and being visible... Uh, basically, you're going to die quickly. So within two rounds, they're already hiding in their respective colours. So is and it a camper's game? Is it uh, favour those who hide in the shadows? It, uh, I'd say camping won't do you any good uh, because you won't be getting any kills. So you won't get that, the, the brute feedback of the blood red spraying everywhere. And sure, you can sit back and watch that happen, but it's not as fun. Uh, we don't have any sniping in our game, so the camping in a sense is just you being AFK, I'd, I'd expect. Um, we are planning on having, I guess, dynamic maps as well where the lights are moving, so it does uh, hinder campers in that sense. Uh, so we're hoping that the moving light can also push the gameplay. Being only Having only a couple of uh, you know, very contrasting colours, were there any issues with the actual artistic direction of it, like you know, actually being able to see and control, navigate your way through the um, levels without issue? Uh, that is an ongoing process, basically. Uh, iteration, iteration, iteration is what we're constantly doing. Uh, from character design perspective, uh, the, the hardest thing to get was silhouette value, but Isaac's really good at getting that, uh, grabbing that from the characters. Uh, from a level design perspective, though, it, it's many iterations. Uh, you can add... You, the easy process is, okay, cool, people players can't see this wall, so let's add a texture. And then there's too much noise, and it just blends in with the environment from a distance. So then you've got to take it from another perspective of, okay, how does it look from above? How does it look from below? It's just a constant iteration cycle. Um, and I'd, I'd love to say we've nailed it, we're brewing at it, but we still haven't. And I think throughout the process of development, we're going to continue to grow on it. So do you approach like map balancing and lighting balancing in a special way? Um, sort of. Uh, we don't – trying to get it perfectly right in terms of balance 50 uh, 50-50 doesn't really work. We learned that pretty quickly because players' perception and what the actual statistics are are two separate things. Uh, so as long as players feel like it's balanced, that's a win in our head. Um, we, we've had maps where it's only you know, 35 to 40% of the map is in favour of one colour. But because of the way the lighting is placed and how the scene is viewed from most angles, it feels balanced. One of the interesting things I think... Uh about this game in, and something that kind of came to mind is, you know, this is a game about visibility and invisibility. Have you thought about how people who, who aren't able to see in perfect sort of vision are going to approach this game and accessibility for, for people who, you know, may, may be looking at the world in a slightly different way? 100%. And we haven't done any testing yet, but I, I really want to get people in. Uh, 
to actually, I guess, review it and tell us what they can and can't see. Because in theory, I think, uh, I don't know how many different types of colorblindness there is, but in theory, we're covered by two. But it's, I think the three, the, the third or fourth one, I'm, we're not sure on because it's the, when it starts going with the reds and then the black and white not be as con- might not be as contrasty enough. Yeah, hopefully, um, hopefully that red just kind of sits in the middle for a lot of people because, like you said, there is a quite a big contrast between all the, th- the, th- the three colors that you've got going on. Yeah, um, well, I played it at PAX and just loved it. FYI, <laughs> but as you said, like you know, the, the first couple of uh, games or the first moments are a bit chaotic and you, you die pretty quickly, pretty often. But after yep. a couple of rounds, you really kind of you pick up on the on the difference of the the colors and the textures and everything, and you kind of really get it until you get hit by a train, of course. <laughs> yeah, I think when you're talking about the colors and sort of exploring this. Have you sort of experimented with introducing other colors and, and other sort of, you know, color schemes, I guess, to sort of suit that Themes. accessibility yeah. market, but also for... Um, not really, honestly. Uh, we set out from the get-go that we only wanted three colors. Uh, and we were basically reassured of this when we saw a, basically almost a competing product, a game in a very similar vein, um, but they had multiple colors. So instead of just the black, white, red, you could swap out and have whatever color you want as long as they were contrasting. And they gave you options. So then when we saw that, it was sort of like a, uh, a separation needed there of products. And so I think it just made sure that we we're going to do that even more. Uh, so we are looking, I mean, based on feedback, as we were talking about earlier, where if you have someone who's colorblindness in a certain manner, might not see a certain, uh, color in the way we want it to, perhaps we can change it. Um, but we're trying to stick to the three if we can. When um, you're sort of approaching this game, you know, you mentioned that it was heavily inspired by a Samurai Jack episode. You also mentioned there that, you know, you're sort of looking at other games and, and, and drawing sort of comparisons at least, if not um, influences from that. How, how do you kind of make something that you have been inspired by but make it your own? Um, personally, as a programmer, it's, I wouldn't say I just do what I'm told. But that's more of a the art perspective, and I think the both Reese and Isaac, uh, the, both the artists on the team, have spent a lot of time analysing what they do and don't like. And we, as a team, quite often will have a meeting uh, probably once a fortnight, talking about design design decisions and art influence on the product. So we'll basically go through a handful of, uh, uh, I guess, artistic or uh, images that the artists have found, and go, what don't we like? What do we like? And we keep the ones we do, and then we make sure we keep the ones that don't as well. So we look at it for reference and go, yep, we still don't want that. Uh, and then the ones that we do, we try and bring that, bring that into our own design. Um, that's not just from uh, Japanese history. That's also from, as you mentioned before, animation. And we've got a lot of uh, varying, varying animation styles in the game in terms of where the influence is from. Naruto is a big one for Isaac. Um, he loves, loves Naruto with a passion. So if you notice how the ninjas sprint, for example, they sprint very Naruto style with their arms behind their back. Um, yeah. um, I'm, I'm not so much in an art direction, but more of a gameplay-wise um, one. I, I felt a lot of comparisons between uh, the Genji character on Overwatch and the gameplay of the... And this is in no way a bad thing. I feel, thought it was fantastic. No, no it's perfect. Yeah, Thank you. Because it, it stands away from it enough, but, but it's similar in a lot of positive ways. Yeah, so basically I was about three quarters of the way through writing the movement system as it currently stands, and then Overwatch came out. And I loved, I loved the hell out of that game. So I played a lot of it, and I came back after playing it over a weekend. I went, 
right, I don't like how movement works. It needs to be more like Genji. Mm. So I reckon I sat there for a week straight just recording footage of Genji and how we looked. And I'm like, okay, what, what can I do to make it feel more like uh, he does? So whilst our movement is not exactly like it, it's that feeling and the feedback you get as a player I tried to take away from. I, w- I was walking around the indie floor and people would come up to me and going, you have to check out the Genji game. And I was like, well, what, what does that mean? And, like, and I, go, I go, I have to find out the actual name of this game because I'm not calling it the Genji game. I refuse to call it the Genji game. Yeah. <laughs> That's a compliment <laughs> in my book. No worries. Well, look, uh, you're still in sort of the development progress. Um, you've gone through Greenland. Green light, green lamp, green light campaign, <laughs> green light campaign. Um, Jack, if people want to find out a bit more of your game and or maybe give it a go, where's the best places for them to, to head to? Um, so you can go to kierugame.com or pinefirestudios.com forward slash kieru. Um, we are planning on having a beta period about mid this year. Um, so if you sign up for the mailing list there, you'll be the first to know about when that happens. Decent definitely worth giving a go get a bunch of friends around and uh chop them in black and white let's jump into our next topic let's shall do we that. Pixel sift. <laughs> pixel sift. no seriously pixel sift <laughs> no seriously pixel sift With the latest releases and announcements of premium consoles, the PS4 Pro and Xbox Scorpio respectively, we may have seen the final days of the console generations as we know them. Microsoft head of Xbox marketing, Aaron Greenberg, says the uh, Xbox team thinks this will be the last console generation for their platform and others may be following suit. Our final topic for today will be discussing just this. Now... (laughs) <laughs> it seems I, like you just got into console gaming, Scott. Oh, yeah. And just, now it's over. No. Just come <laughs> no, no, no. He's just, got forever to live in in the console world now. No, He's they're going to come into his house and take it away. Yeah, Mr. Microsoft. Um, I think <laughs> this is really interesting, and I don't know if you remember when the actual Xbox One was announced uh, back in May 2013. One of the big sort of features that they talked about was basically... They talked about leveraging the cloud and using cloud gaming and cloud infrastructure to sort of beef up the console. And if you read between the lines of that, what they were kind of trying to imply was that they were going to offload a lot of what the console did itself to onto the uh, you know the the service online. I personally, living in Australia, thought this is going to be a service that's not going to work at all because I've got terrible internet. Um, but you know, this seems to be something that they've they've been thinking about for a long time. Um, and part of that cloud sort of thing was that the much criticised uh, locked uh, games to your own personal account so you couldn't resell your games. So, you know, I, I think this is something they've been talking about for a while. Yeah, look, it's, it's not the end of console generations, really. Um, they're, they're saying it is, but really it's just a change in format from what we're currently used to. Um, you know, it, it, there's going to be more iterations, smaller performance gains... Um, I don't at the moment I don't see this as a great thing I just feel like it's kind of a better way for us to spend money like they've they've come out and said like this is a quote actually we're basically saying this isn't a new generation everything you have continues forward and it works we think of this as a family of devices like what is that technology technology improves like things go out of date faster than ever at the moment like the standardized level of performance increases like constantly mm-hmm. with a, like with a few incremental jumps, like in whatever many generations or whatever they're going to call it. Now there's still going to be a considerable jump in performance. And like, you know, basically instead of generations, we're just going to have upgrades and how many upgrades will it take until you can't play with the top tier anymore? Yeah. I think that's, you feel me? 
Yeah, exactly. I feel like that, uh, you know, this is just a replication and we've, we've sort of hinted on this before in previous episodes, mm. but this is sort of a replication of the sort of PC model where, you know, you can technically run uh, Overwatch on a computer that's got a built-in graphics card and runs terribly. Hey, I do that. Yeah, but, you know, <laughs> there is going to be an optimal sort of build to it mm-hmm. and that the games are going to be targeting that middle to optimal that's build. One, and that's a, there's a price barrier there to that. Yeah. And they're talking yeah, about the... Sorry, Jack? It's really like the uh, mobile market. Exactly. Uh, just seeing how you can still yeah, run on an iPhone 4, but you're going to have less and less apps supporting you. But like, I, As a developer, it scares the hell out of me. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Building the consoles as is is a pain in the ass. I can't imagine what it's going to be like when we have to deal with the same in the same console environment. And variations I, on the theme. I think you're pretty much you've nailed it there, and that I think some companies are going to say, "Well, we're not going to spend the time and effort to target a console that came out ten years ago because we know the vast majority of our players are on the most current iteration of that particular piece yeah. of hardware." You know, it just comes down to, especially in indie situations. You know, you've only got X number of of hours in a day and X number of dollars in the bank account, and you just need to kind of get it through the door. We spoke yeah, in definitely. the case of in the case of Square Heroes. We spoke to those guys. Um, earlier last year, I think, and then um, they were talking about how yeah, it is a lot of effort to create a new version and get it approved by the console market. This is really frustrating for me as a, as an adamant in, uh, console player. Like one of the main reasons I've stayed a console player over the years is because of the um, you know the balanced level playing. You know you can you can be sure that the person playing on the other end is playing with the identical, if not extremely similar specs. I like that. If you're, going, if you're going to be let down, it's going to be let down by something like a terrible internet structure or something like that. Yeah. Yep. Um, and, and that is why I really liked consoles because you could enter into the market and be evenly played, like play on even levels with someone else at a pretty reasonable price. Pretty reasonable. So what do we think of like Razer and all that bringing out controllers that are slightly better? Because like Razer now have the Raiju, I think. It's a, pretty, like it's a premium PlayStation controller and this comes with all PlayStation's blessing. And... It's got extra buttons on it and apparently it performs better. Yeah, but that's a real niche thing. So that's no true. one's going to need... Just like, for example, if you want to play Uncharted 4 mm-hmm. on PlayStation, you know, if Uncharted 5 comes out, you don't need that fancy controller to play it. You no. might feel a bit better about yourself spending all that money because mm-hmm. you're like you're justifying your purchase. But you know what I mean? Like that mm-hmm. is extra hardware that adds on versus talking about physical hardware, which is the thing that it runs on. And then, you know, there are 100% going to be games that run on the PS4 Pro only at one point. That's true. And there's going to be games that run only on the Scorpio, which is the new version of the Xbox. Well, Xbox has said that there will be no games that runs on the Scorpio exclusive unless they're the VR, of course. Um, All games that play on Xbox One will play on Scorpio. Both companies have actually promised that I, okay, to, cool. to an I had, extent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. not exactly sure on what PlayStation have said direct, uh, exactly, but that's what Xbox have said about the Scorpio. You won't miss out, basically, unless, uh, of course, VR. I think as well that, you know, if you remember the sort of the time frame in between when the Xbox One and the PlayStation 4 came out, there were a lot of games that came out on both PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360. Yeah. And, you know, yes, there are, they're on both, but... One of them is a you know a, a different experience to to that, and now we've got one thing that's badged as PlayStation Four or Xbox One, and we're kind of saying that they're all the same thing except for these ones, which are better. So you know, I think it does create a divide between it, and it is a sort of a cost barrier. And I think yeah, this is sort of just marketing sort of talk. It, it does. It does seem, however, that like in terms of like what the game can do, like the PS Pro, the PlayStation Pro 
it seems like the only I, I saw a demo at PAX so they were comparing the two different modes of what will be on the new system or what's available on the old system, and it seemed only graphical, mm. and that might be the saving gate, grace of consoles because graphical um, changes are all about diminishing returns. Like how much more power do you really need to make this graphical change? It's the frames per second. Yeah. So. Um, in a sense, that might be its saving grace because yeah. after a while, it really doesn't matter anymore. Well, random sidekick on Twitch says that, you know, these professional controllers, uh, you know, competitive FPS console, console controllers have been around for years and you'll see a sort of a slew of controllers from all over the time, all over the years that have attachments and other bits and yeah, pieces. No. But, you know, that is, the, I think the key word is that it's competitive and these are for people who are trying to go above and beyond mm. what... The, the standard, and if we're saying that the standard is kind of now, you know, very incrementally moving, um, I think it's 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 sort of just that's seems a really to me, good point. Yeah, um, and, and and as you said, that's not going to be an issue for your people playing Yarn Charted or you, basically your single player stuff. You know, it's only going to be people that are playing multiplayer, and it's going to be a very small amount of those people that want to take it to that level. Will need to take it to that level. Yeah, and I think it means that when you know they have Last of Us you know, four or whatever, and it doesn't run on the PlayStation that you bought in 2013 or 14, yeah. you know, you'll probably be thinking, oh, well, you know, so much for this console generation. Well, that's it. We're basically, from now on, uh, what I imagine is we're going to have three or four, three or more, like, different iterations of a current-gen console um, running at once. Like, how they'll keep the levels of hardware fair beyond that many kind of, gener- like, mini generations in a row, I don't know. I think we'll be really careful with the naming conventions as well. I know. That's going to be so throwing. hard for parents. PS4 Pro, PS4 Pro 2. That's the wrong one, mum. Xbox One 2. <laughs> 4 Xbox PS4, two. 4 Pro, you know. This is just an upgrade. <laughs> exactly. Look, um, you know. Wii U ran into that problem. Wii U did run into that. Having a good name is very important. It's yeah. like having a good online system as mm-hmm. we've learned today. Good marketing. That's exactly right. Well, look, thanks, uh, everyone. We have come to the end of the show. Uh, this is another episode of Pixel Shift. We come out every single week. You can find our episodes on our website, which is www.pixelsift.com.au. Um, we've also got uh, all the links you'll find to the show notes and things you can look look up here you can look up jack you can find out all the info there we also have uh, a bunch of older episodes don't we mitch yeah so you can go our website to stream those episodes or subscribe to our podcast on either itunes pocket Casts, or the rss link on our page and scott we're also on the social medias as well that's it we are on facebook.com forward slash pixel sift twitter.com forward slash pixel sift twitch.tv forward slash pixel sift and youtube.com forward slash pixel sift au jack thank you very much for joining us uh thank you for me. no worries everyone should have a look at kira if you get the chance uh, get on there and kill some people in black and white in ninja style it so. is very fun uh we will be back again this time next week we'll no we won't no, we'll thursday, be back on thursday next week. next week this is a wednesday normal time normal, normal time, time. Yeah. see you then <laughs> catch you up This episode of Pixel Sift has been brought to you by Audible. You can buy, uh, well, you can get a free Audible trial and up to 180,000 titles to choose from uh, for your iPhone, Android, and Kindle. All you need to do is head over to www.audibletrial.com forward slash Pixel Sift. If you're in the market for a super addictive puzzle game, you have to check out Mini Motorways on Apple Arcade. It's a city planning strategy puzzler with an incredibly satisfying gameplay loop. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. 
Head to sifter.com.au slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today. That's sifter.com.au slash arcade for a free one-month trial of Apple Arcade, and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. New subscribers only, $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. 